Across the Thames Valley. One more time. Across the Thames Valley. This, this is River Radio. Well, now for some pop music. Try this. Good evening, listeners, and welcome to River Radio on the 30th of June. With me, Wisdom DaCosta, for the next hour with Michael Burton, Sam Sethi, and a host of stellar guests. Yes, you're listening to The Politically Correct Show on River Radio on the 30th of June, uh, talking about the issues that affect you and what you can do. Tonight we're talking about road safety and how active transport will affect road users today with a stellar cast of guests. Stella Cast. Imagine if we had a guest called Stella Cast. Wouldn't that be good? <laughs> Hello, Stella. <laughs> she designs clothes, doesn't she? I don't know. She should do. That is the voice of Michael Bolton, or as I like to call him, Jason Bourne. Yes, yes, I, was, I love that. I love that little reference you put. I thought maybe that's a completely natural thing to do. So I'm okay. pli- I was quite pleased with that. I'm thinking about changing my name. And then that could be a three-part film. Okay. So, Mike, today we're talking about... Road safety. Now, road safety stats seem to have plateaued in the Thames Valley for the last few years when we have statistics. They've stuck at about 800 serious casualties and deaths. Now, is that acceptable? Well, some road users are saying no, and we're really worried now that the government has got a big push for active transport, which is going to be more road, sorry, more cyclists and more pedestrians, but also perhaps more e-scooters. So they're worried that actually this is going to have an effect, a deep effect, on road safety stats. Uh, well, who knows? I mean, the reality is uh, 800 people being now seriously injured. We're not talking about fatalities there either. So what I, I, It's I a combination of fatalities and serious injuries. Yeah, I'll go with a serious injury if I have an option. But you're quite right that the, the challenge there is if you're going to increase traffic or change the structure of traffic from cars to cycles to e-scooters and things, then potentially that's going to have, could have a detrimental effect on those figures. And plateau means it's not going down, which is what we want. OK, we're going to have a little break here and we're going to go to Steppenwolf, born to be wild in honour of all of our road users. It's really. Do you know that is an unusual version? Yeah. What? (laughs) (laughs) I quite like that one actually. There we go. Oh, that one. We're back.
actually feel rather naughty playing that song thing as we're about to talk about active transport. Yeah, but, I, but at least I prefer that version of the Steppenwolf song, by the way. I think that's a much better version. Yeah, I don't know where that with. came from. I thought that was you doing something funky. <laughs> if only I could be funky. I can't remember the word funky. Funky moped. You see, remember the funky moped? Yeah. Jasper Carrot. There's okay. road use for you. Right, we're going we're gonna to go over to our guests now and introduce our guests one by one. Now, which of our guests, because they are stellar guests, have 60 seconds to introduce themselves and tell us about the organisation they're from. So I'll time them. We're going to time them. You're a mean man. A, sh- a hanging judge, as I call my wife. OK, they're so already into it. Colin Brown first. Um, Colin, welcome. Tell us about who you are and where you're from. Uh, good evening. Uh, uh, thank you for the uh, the introduction. As I say it's the first time I've been described as stellar, I think, in my entire life. So uh, <laughs> thanks for that. Um, You've got the my beard. name is Colin Brown. Um, I'm the Director of Campaigns and Political Engagement for the Motorcycle Action Group. Um, Motorcycle Action Group is a, uh, a members' organisation, a representative body uh, speaking on behalf of motorcyclists on a whole host of issues. Um, and clearly road safety is one of those that uh, that is... Is one of those issues that is very, uh, very much uh, on the agenda for us to uh, to be concerned about and uh, have a view on, shall we say? Great, thank you, Colin. Colin Walker from British Cycling. Another Colin. It's very rare to meet another Colin on something like this, so uh, <laughs> you've got two. Uh, so yes, I should introduce myself. So my name is Colin Walker. I'm from British Cycling. We're the governing body for the sport of cycling in the UK, so we're probably considered most synonymous with uh, the riders at the Tour de France, you know, all the medals we've been winning recently at the uh, various Olympics and hoping to do the same at Tokyo this year. You just had to throw but, uh, that in, didn't you? <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, uh, but cycling, unlike a lot of other sports, is, is more than a sport, and we recognise the huge societal benefits that can come from encouraging more people to engage in active travel like cycling, whether it's improving physical and mental health, tackling city congestion, tackling poor air quality, or being a means of tackling the climate crisis we're facing. We think getting more people on bikes helps tick the box against all of those. Um, But we also have over 150,000 members. And one of the issues that those members tell us time and again is their concerns over road safety and the vulnerability they feel when they're often uh, cycling to work or cycling for leisure or competing on Britain's roads. And uh, that's why we're always keen to kind of engage with these debates and think about how we can get solutions. Thank, thank you, Colin. Can you go over to Neil Gregg? Yeah, hi, I'm Neil Gregg, and I'm Director of Policy and Research for IEM Roadsmart, which many of you, your listeners, might know better as the Institute of Advanced Motorists. We rebranded to IEM Roadsmart. We are best known for the advanced motorcyclist and advanced driver training, uh, which has been going on since 1956. So we train thousands of drivers every year. And we have a very active group here in the Thames Valley, in Maidenhead, Thames Valley IEM Group who uh, were instrumental behind me being invited onto the debate tonight. So we represent both motorists and motorcyclists, and we're very keen to make sure that we try and get over that problem we, that you highlighted at the beginning, which is that we've been flatlining on road deaths in the UK since 2013, after having some of the best road safety uh, improvements in the whole of the world in the 60s, 70s, 80s and 90s. But now, unfortunately, we're, we're languishing at the bottom of the league table for improvement, and we need to improve that. Thank you, Neil. Alan, Alan Hiscox, I'm really honoured to have you on board. Tell us who you are and where you're from. Okay, thanks very much. Yeah, Alan Hiscox, Director of Safety from the uh, British Horse Society, and we are the largest equine charity in the UK. We've got 120,000 mares. Uh, we have an education there, an access department that looks after bridleways, 
the safety department that stops shop for all equestrians who um, and we help and deal uh, with any safety issue that they they have but 95 percent of my work is dealing with the safety of horses on the roads 46 horses were killed on the roads last year in the uk and over a thousand incidents involving horses were reported to the british horse society but only one in ten get reported to the bhs so that's a thousands, um, 10,000 incidents that were reported to us last year. Now, our Dead Slow campaign is all about informing and involving drivers on how to pass horses safely, you know, slowing down to that maximum 50 miles an hour, getting that two-metre distance as you pass the horse. So it's all about increasing the safety of horses, riders, but also other road users, you know, when you see a horse on the road. Great. Thank you, Alan. And last but absolutely not least is the newly elected Matthew Barber. Matthew, tell us about who you are and your role in the Thames Valley. Good evening. Thank you very much uh, indeed for having me on again. Uh, so, as you said, my name is Matthew Barber. I'm the newly elected Police and Crime Commissioner for Thames Valley, which clearly gives me a, a role around policing, but there's a, a wider remit around uh, community safety. And so, you know, from my perspective, I, I've just today launched my new Police and Criminal Justice Plan, and part of that is a, is a nod to a forthcoming road safety um, strategy, and I'm really keen to work with, with all road users, everybody on on this uh, program this evening, uh, yeah, everybody out there. Because I think, from my perspective, um, there's often seen to be a, a bit of competition. Uh, sometimes there is literally a competition for for road space. Clearly, there's a, a separate debate around you know, active travel and getting people to shift uh, the the way they uh, they move around. For me, um, uh, it, that's that's not the the realm I'm in. What I'm the realm I'm in is about safety for everybody. So whether you are um, whether you're a car driver, a passenger, a cyclist, a pedestrian, a, a horse rider, uh, from my perspective, it doesn't matter. The, the numbers of people we're seeing killed and seriously injured on our roads um, uh, every year is is far too high. Some of that we can we can deal with through police enforcement, absolutely. But some of it is about education, improving standards of uh, of driving and cycling and all, all the other all the other things everybody has responsibility um out there but also i think there's some more systematic things we need to look at around uh, around the, the, the layouts of the roads some of those structural issues the environment uh, because uh, it's it's not just about the individuals there, there are some structural issues i think we can address as well awesome thank you matthew i'm going to read you all some stats and then obviously we'll move on to the discussion so There are 1.3 million vehicles registered in the Thames Valley in 2015. A million of those are cars, 40,000 motorcycles, around 200,000 transport vehicles, 4,000 buses, and there is an estimated 280,000 cyclists. Now, the number of deaths and serious injuries due to road traffic collisions has hovered around the 800 mark, 800 per annum, for the last few years, with around 150 pedestrians, 150 cyclists, 150 motorcyclists, 320 motorists and 40 others. Now, when compared to driving, it's two times riskier to be on the roads in the Thames Valley if you're a cyclist, 15 times more risky if you're a motorcyclist. And um, I'm, I'm not exactly sure of the facts and figures for the horse riding, but I'm sure that Alan will provide those later on. Now, the government has pledged £2 million package to create a new area for era for cycling and walking in 2020. And this is part of a £5 billion five-year major boost to bus services and local transport. Now, the government has said that they want this £2 billion for cycling and walking to relieve the pressure on public transport and to use that to introduce 250 miles of new high-quality separated cycle routes and safe junctions in towns and cities, dozens of new mini-Holland-type schemes 
and of course the inf- now infamous low traffic neighbourhoods, and the uh, promise to work with local authorities to reduce traffic, uh, lose sorry, reduce, reduce lorry traffic, making it sa- making the streets safer to walk, ride, cycle, and play, while maintaining vehicle access for people who need as people need to get around. Now it looks as if the government is also introducing measures to make motoring less attractive. Um, I think from today or from this summer, we've got the new E10 fuel coming into place, which is phasing out petrol and they're looking to phase out petrol and diesel cars as well from 2030 and lorries from 2040. So the government is definitely seeking to change, if not transform, our personal mobility. Now, I'm going to go to Colin, Colin Brown. Now, Colin, you're from the Motorcycle Action Group and you've called for this debate. What are your concerns about road safety and the increase in active transport, which would include pedestrians and cyclists? Um, yeah, but so obviously we we've uh, launched a, uh, a a proposal for um, a new vision for road safety uh, at the beginning of this week, uh, which we're we're terming welcoming roads. Um, it is very much a um, a work in progress, and we're we're inviting all stakeholders to to actually comment on it and uh, and give us their feedback as to what they think. Um, but uh, it's been driven largely by a concern for the the, the widely acknowledged plateau in in terms of the the statistics um, that certainly exists for for the uh, the overall figures. But certainly, when you look at the uh, figures for motorcycling, um, I think the DFT at one stage in one report uh, describes motorcycle fatalities as remaining stubbornly high. Um, I think this is this is a is an area where um, everybody is keen to point out the fact that, as you said, motorcycling is many times more risky than driving a car. Um, but there doesn't seem to be as much will to actually do something about it. Um, the the push at the moment for active travel, um, public transport, obviously we fully understand that and and have no issues with that. Uh, but we do feel that on occasion that is leading to a certain amount of neglect of other road user groups. Um, and that can in turn lead to effectively resistance to the whole active travel agenda. Um, if uh, if other road users are made to feel that their safety is less important than an active road user, um, they're, they're obviously going to resist any, any messaging that, that, uh, that goes around it. Um, I think we do make the mistake of, of assuming that people only use one mode of transport when clearly the vast majority of us use use many modes of transport. You know, I, I ride a motorcycle. Yes, obviously I represent the Motorcycle Action Group, but I also drive a car. I also walk. I can't claim to cycle because I've got a bad knee. makes it rather difficult for me. But, uh, yeah, I, I use whatever mode of transport is suitable for the trip that I make. Now, I expect to be equally safe in whichever uh, mode of transport I pick. I don't believe that safety should be a deciding factor in my choice of transport. Um, and I, I think that's a fair argument to make for anybody who wishes to take up cycling, walking or any of the other modes of transport that we're promoting. So I think what we need to do is is cease this um, segmentation and almost tribalism that, that seems to be developing where, where we're saying, oh, yeah, cyclists are great, but car drivers are, are evil or motorcyclists are, are, are all, uh, you know, hell bent on killing themselves or, you know, all, all these kind of comments that come out. I'm not saying it's, 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 it's a deliberate thing, but I think it is something that is, is growing and increasing and that we've got to level this out and, and step back for a bit and say, 
well, actually, we need our, our roads to be a welcoming environment where anybody can feel safe, no matter what their transport choice might be. Now, the Mayor for London has said that in his Vision Zero, that he's looking to have zero deaths and fatalities by 2030. And the way they're going to do this is fundamentally by reducing speeds. They're going to change layouts. They're going to look to, of roads, for example, they're going to look to build or use materials which are uh, more friendly on the individual in the case of, a, of an accident and more, more education. What are you actually proposing that's different to that? Uh, strangely enough, not a lot. Um, and uh, this is, I think, uh, unfortunately, where, where misconceptions come in, because we're not saying that this is a bad idea. That um, I mean, obviously, yes, we, we want to reduce the number of casualties down to zero. However, I think it, it can turn into an ideological argument um, when you could argue that uh, the easiest way to achieve zero road casualties is stop everybody using the roads tomorrow. Uh, there wouldn't be any casualties on the roads if there was nobody there. Um, so, but that clearly isn't an option. Um, so there does need to be a balance. Um, I think um, when we, we look at, uh, at concepts such as Vision Zero, it, it is very tempting to set a date and say, well, that's the target. I think for London, it's 2041. I think it's the date that's been set for, for zero casualties. The problem is that the majority of people in the real world look, at, look around them and say, that's just never going to happen. So let's not bother. Um, and I think that that's what we've got to avoid. Um, I'm, I'm all for obviously reducing road casualties for, for all road users, um, but we've got to do it in a way that everybody can buy into, that everybody feels safe to buy into. Uh, and at the moment, certainly from a, a motorcycling perspective, many, many people that I speak to who ride motorcycles feel that this Vision Zero um, is actually making the situation worse for them. So what you're saying um, so is you want a bit more collaboration, come and talk to MAG and other motorcycle groups and um, incorporate them into the design process. Yes, absolutely. I would say we, we do as an organisation engage as much as we possibly can. Um, you know, we, we, we have meetings and discussions with, with Transport for London and other, other uh, road authorities. Um, we, 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 we're talking to the Department for Transport. We sit on the, uh, the DFT's road safety delivery group. Um, so we are in a position now where we're increasingly being listened to. Um, but it, to be fair, it's been a, it's been a hard slog to get there. Um, okay. And historically, it is very much a case of you feel like you're the forgotten transport mode. Okay. Um, I mean, one perfect example is the recent okay. um, review of the highway code. Um, to, to improve road safety for vulnerable road users. Um, the one vulnerable road user that wasn't included in that consultation process was motorcyclists. Great. Thank, thank you very much, Colin. I'm going to go over to Neil. Neil, is this all really a moot point for you? Are cars going to become a thing of the past? I don't think so. I think if you look at the, the membership, the ownership figures, the use figures, they've carried on going up and up and up. They're going back to normal quicker than other modes of transport after the pandemic. Uh, tra uh, road travel is back to about 100% of pre-pandemic levels. Uh, we're still catching up on public transport. And in some areas, uh, cycling levels have gone down overall. So, uh, yeah, the car is still very popular. And I think COVID, unfortunately, from a, you know, a sustainability perspective, you could say it's actually made the car more popular because, you know, what is, what is more healthy now? And, I mean, you, nobody, nobody wants to share the space with anybody else because of the pandemic in your own little box in the car, you feel safe. So, yeah, there's going to be cars around for a, lo a long time. We will be phasing out um, petrol and diesel engines by 2030, hybrids by 2035. 
But, you know, that means that in 2029, you could still buy a diesel car that will have a life of 12 to 15 years. So we'll still be selling petrol and diesel well into the 2050s to cater for all these things. Neil, but can, Neil, can, we know that we need to look at uh, global warming. Neil, we can need I... To look at that. Neil, can I just interrupt? It's Mike, Mike Borton here. I know you can't see me at the moment because we're not on, on the call. Um, electric cars. Our electric cars are silent. Uh, we're moving towards less and less petrol, which makes a noise and people can hear. Are we worried about the potential increase in accident rates because of that? It must be a consideration, surely. It is a consideration. In reality, most of the noise you hear from a car is the tyre noise, which is the same on an electric car. So you will find that only at very low speeds are they are they silent, and they are silent. I've, I've recently seen that very close by, my, in, near my house actually, when I was almost uh, when I stepped in front of someone in an electric car. Um, electric cars even now are being supplied with uh, reversing alarms, and I think they will see some car design things coming along to to deal with that. I, I think you know electric cars are very expensive just now. They will come down in price. Uh, the big issue is not really about electric cars. It's about cars as a whole you know if, if we want to change people and get them out of cars getting them out of petrol cars into electric cars doesn't really change things in a road safety a road safety way um and and the bigger issue is about how we get people out of their cars full stop and that is that is still a very difficult one to crack because people love their cars they live in areas where they need a car they think they need a car and you know we have to make cycling and public transport much more attractive and of course covid didn't help with that i, I think if i knew the answer as to why Thames Valley and the UK had been flatlining for the last eight years. I'd, I'd probably be Minister of Transport, uh, which I, unfortunately I'm not. I think a lot of things are happening. It, it is more difficult to save a life on the road now because all the low-hanging fruit is gone. Uh, drink drive, drug driving, airbags, car design is fantastic these days. We do have pretty safe road designs in many places as well. could do a lot more than that. I think distraction from modern cars hasn't helped. Uh, drink driving hasn't gone away. Drug driving is a huge issue all over all of the UK. And also, I think if you look back at the cuts over the, the times of austerity, cuts to police numbers, traffic police numbers, cuts to local authority funding, potholes, that sort of thing, all these things have have, have cancelled out the benefits from safer cars. Okay. Uh, let, let me bring in so Colin. It's a difficult one. Let me bring in Colin here, Colin Walker. Now, now, you, Neil, you're from the Institute of Advanced Motors, Motorists. Sorry, I'm a member of the Institute of Advanced Motorcycling. And of course, training is a big issue. Do you think, I'm going to ask Neil first and then Colin, should we have more training for motorists and should we start training for cyclists? Neil? I think we need we need to change the way we train learner drivers. I think we, we, we there's a thing called graduated driver licensing that exposes new drivers to a wider range of experience. Experience as a learner makes you a safer driver in the long run. It is still far too easy to get somebody who will teach you very quickly, take you around the routes that they know in Maidenhead, for example, by the Maidenhead test center and pass your test. You may never have gone out at night. You may never have seen rain and you may never have been on the motorway. So we need to change the way we, 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 we train young drivers. We also would like to see, obviously, at IEM, we would encourage people to have a lifelong learning approach. If you look at every other aspect of your life, computers, uh, your work, you, you refresh your skills. People don't refresh their skills enough when it comes to, uh, to riding and driving. So we think that okay. can happen. I think training for, for cyclists is, is obviously something done at school. I don't think it could be compulsory, but it certainly would be useful. 
Okay, let, let's go to Colin. Colin, I mm. ride a bike, I ride a motorcycle, I drive a car, I don't ride a horse. But the one thing that gets my goat, even though I'm a cyclist, is seeing two abreast cyclists, usually lycra clad, going along the roads and having not a care for the other road users. Do you think training is important? Well, I mean, I've, there's a couple of issues there. Uh, firstly, on the training issue, no, I don't think it should be compulsory. Um, you, I think the problem with that approach is it kind of shifts responsibility for cyclist safety on the road onto the cyclist. If you look at somewhere like uh, Holland and Amsterdam, they have the lowest rates of uh, serious injury or death amongst cyclists of anywhere on the road. They don't have formal training programs. What do they have that we don't? Quality segregated infrastructure. They have made they made an investment back in the 70s, uh, a decision back in the 70s to invest significant amounts of money to produce that infrastructure. And now, if you go to Amsterdam, for example, the vast majority of cyclists don't wear helmets because they know that they're safe because people don't just fall off their bike. Is that, is that realistic? In, is that realistic in the UK where we've got an established infrastructure? We're not re, we can't reinvent the wheel. Everything is built up and it's grown like topsy. Is it possible to actually safely change? the infrastructure without absolutely impairing other road users? Well, Holland was in exactly the same situation in 1970s, built-up uh, country, and it made a decision to kind of invest in that infrastructure. So, yes, I do believe it's possible. And you are seeing that happening in London. There's some quality segregated cycle lanes going in. For example, the one over Blackfriars Bridge at peak hours only consumes 20% of the road space but carries 70% of the traffic because bikes are such an efficient way of moving people around. Um, on your point about two abreast, this is often something that kind of like obviously uh, gets people quite angry, but it's actually permissible and in, and in the highway code. People cycling two abreast actually means they occupy the same amount of space in the road as would a car. So it prevents people from trying to um, under, uh, carry out a risky overtaking manoeuvres. Typically, if you try to stay really close to the curb in single file, people will try to dive into spaces that aren't really safe to overtake on. So whilst we do encourage people, cyclists, to be courteous and when there's opportunities to move into let um, cars overtake, that's fine. But actually it is permissible and encouraged in the highway code. OK, thank you very much for that. Um, I've learned something new there. <laughs> We're going to go over to Alan. Alan Hiscox, what's your view as in a question? Question, what's the, what would be the adjective there or the noun? Uh, as a horse rider, I think it's probably the easiest thing for me to say. Okay, as an equestrian, either or. Um, well, there's, there's several points there that um, I'd like to uh, sort of add to. I mean, Colin mentioned about infrastructure. Um, bridleways are um, in very, very short supply in the UK, and that is a way of getting horses off the roads. Sorry, Alan, you're breaking up terribly there. Yeah, the horse in the the UK to uh, to actually use. So we're on the roads because we're getting from one bridle way to another bridle way, or from a stable to a bridle way. So there's many many planning um, sort of uh, situations where horses have not been considered. You know, we can share routes with cyclists and pedestrians when they're off the roads. And that's all about multi multi user routes. So. Um, it's all about education, about how drivers, if they see a horse, what do they do to inform them and involve them and make them aware of what happens you know, when, when a horse is on the road, that they are flight animals and they may respond to something. So there's, there's lots of things that, uh, that we can do and, 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 and get into. And I heard Colin uh, Brown talk about motorcyclists being the forgotten road, road, vulnerable road user. Well, I would say up until a couple of years ago, I would say... 
uh, equestrians were a forgotten vulnerable road user as well. And the emphasis most definitely was on walking and cycling. And the highway code review, you know, we had to fight really hard to get into the highway code review to talk about ways that rules in the highway code could be strengthened to protect horse riders. So there's several sort of aspects there that um, people think, well, you know, active travel, uh, our horses involved in that. Well, of course, you know, people don't ride their horses to work anymore, but there is, um, you know, a, a very big health impact to riding. So, yeah, we'd love to be considered alongside cyclists and walkers um, and, and, and motorcyclists. You know, together as a vulnerable road user group, you know, we do really need to be considered a lot more. So that seems to be a strong message today is that, listen, talk to everybody and we'll involve everybody in the discussions. Right, we're going to go for a song now. Actually, this is one from you, Alan. Um, so this is um, actually the Scissor Sisters and only the horses. Bear with me just a second.
There we go. That's only the horses by the Scissor Sisters. That's a song just for um, for Alan. So we're going to go over to, now to to Matthew Barber. My apologies there. I'm still learning my craft. You're listening to River Radio. It's the Politically Correct Show with myself, Wisdom DaCosta, and Michael Borton, and a host of stellar guests. We've got Alan Hiscox from the British Horse Society, Colin Brown from the Motorcycle Action Group, Colin Walker from British Cycling, Matthew Barber, Police and Crime Commissioner, and Neil Grigg from the Institute of Advanced Motorists. Matthew, you've been listening very carefully to what everyone has said What's the, tell us first, what is the role of the PCC in improving road safety? And what's your reflection? How can you involve each of the user groups you've listened to so far? Yeah, thank you. I think really interesting uh, debate and a really important one. I mean, we are, we're talking about a significant number of people's uh, lives being lost on our roads in Thames Valley. And, and when their lives aren't lost, often, often life-changing injuries. So it, this whole subject uh, couldn't, be, uh, couldn't be more important. I think it was... Uh, Colin Brown, we've got two Collins uh, on on the program. Colin Brown made the the point at the start, which I, I think is really important about that it shouldn't be a competition. It shouldn't be about a choice over uh, over methods of transport. By all means, uh, there, there's an argument around active uh, travel and uh, the environmental impact of of different modes of travel. That's a that's a debate for others other other than me. But focusing on road safety, uh, it should be about making each type of uh, transport as safe as it possibly can be. Uh, it, the other Colin has made the point about segregated um, uh, cycleways. Uh, you know, as, as PCC, I don't have a remit to, to commit to that. It's a matter for local authorities. Um, but, but clearly, I, you know, I can see the benefit as a road user, as someone who is a, is a confirmed motorist, um, uh, actually, that uh, that point of frustration for some motorists when there's a cyclist uh, slowing the the queue of traffic down. Well, actually, wouldn't it be better for everyone uh, if there were um, a segregated cycleway, which would make it safer for the cyclists, encourage more people to do that, and also free up the traffic flow for those people who are who are using their their vehicles. So, uh, I don't think there needs to be a competition um, here between different road users. I think, and I think that's one of the challenges around the the Vision Zero for London. Uh, clearly, the aim is is laudable. Um, I I would love to be able to come on your program and tell you I have some grand plan to uh, to to remove uh, road deaths in in their entirety. But I think the the reality is in London, what Vision Zero is really about is about moving uh, the vast majority of people uh, out of cars onto public transport into into pedestrians and, and cycling, and that. Uh, may work in the capital with a you know clearly a very well structured um, public transport network. But even if we were to uh, heavily invest uh, even further in in our public transport network in Thames Valley, given the uh, the rurality, the the nature of uh, where people live and where people work across Thames Valley, uh, I'm not sure we could uh, set ourselves that that goal. And where that becomes a, an environmental. Uh, uh, goal to reduce car use uh, as has been made the, the case made by neil actually over time we are going to move to um uh, electric vehicles we already know that the 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 production of petrol and diesel vehicles um will uh will be you know will be outlawed uh, relatively soon uh, and actually if the if the electricity for those vehicles is being produced in a, in a green way um the the environmental argument in itself isn't necessarily a shift away from car transport uh, because it because it's dealt with in a different way. So I think the the really important thing is focusing on uh, on that infrastructure, whether that be segregated um, cycleways, whether it be you know, improvements at junctions, etc., and absolutely driving standards uh, and standards of all road users. Whether I, I I tend to agree with with Colin that probably isn't 
um, uh, likely to be feasible with the case of uh, uh, cyclists. Uh, but nevertheless, we all have to accept that if we are going to use the road, we all have a uh, have a duty to have regard to to other road users, uh, and 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 I think that's really important. So, in one of the areas I've I focus on a lot, of speeding which is, is by no means the, the sole problem. I think some people see speeding as the magic bullet, that if we cut speeds, we will solve all our problems. And, and it's, it's hugely important, uh, but, uh, but you know, there, are, there are sadly plenty of people who can drive incredibly badly within the speed limit. So Matthew, uh, and, and, and we need to remember that. But so Matthew, I, what just... I'm really keen to work on with, with that is that we have a strategy that works from the local communities through the police into local authorities so that we have a, a properly informed debate in local areas about what's really needed and it's not about perception but it's about reality matthew if i can ask you do you have any specific proposals that would help touch on these road traffic collisions and reducing the casualties and the fatalities so the uh, so as i said I, i'm looking to develop uh, in the coming years a, a new road a road safety strategy and i'm really keen to work with all of those organizations represented here this evening but uh, as, as a starting point we've already launched a trial of community speed watch across thames valley which hopefully will conclude later this year uh, and if successful we can roll it out and as i said speeding is not the the magic bullet for these things but uh, actually if we can do something with community speed watch to gain better information uh, about speeding, like actually looking at individual uh, cases, individual locations, that can feed into uh, the roads policing tasking, and that in turn can feed into uh, local authorities' uh, highways planning. I think we can actually do a great deal to free up the police from doing some of the uh, some of the road uh, the speeding checks and ensure that the police can actually focus on driving standards because I think that's where the police have a unique ability. Uh, to to deal with those particular issues we can still deal with uh, the issues of speeding in our communities which absolutely concerns uh, many residents Uh, and then we can present evidence to local authorities who who have it will always have limited budgets but actually if we can prevent the present the evidence through the police through community speed watch to local authorities and say look these are where the real problems are this is where we're seeing uh, real impacts through uh, through accidents through uh, serious injuries this is where we're seeing the real speeding we have have a proper evidence-based debate okay. absolutely on, agree with that we need. yeah let me bring in colin colin you had a question to ask there from matthew i guess it was just two points in response to some of the things i've heard from others in the panel firstly i'd really like to welcome a lot of the enthusiasm people have expressed for the benefits of investing in segregated uh, infrastructure the majority of car journeys are for journeys under five miles. Those are journeys that should should be easily made by bikes for the majority of the population, not everyone. And we feel that if knowing that the safety is a real barrier to people who want to cycle but aren't currently, that investing in that infrastructure will free up the roads for those who have no other choice but to drive. I think the interesting point about speeding there is one around enforcement. And we think one of the key means by which we can actually make our roads safer for all users is to better enforce uh, safe driving and control speed. We would like to see local highways authorities empowered and funded to make more use of 20 mile an hour limits in built up areas and also 40 mile an hour on the minor road network. You know, it's especially the rural roads that people enjoy cycling, walking or riding horses on. And it's often those where the permissible 60 mile an hour limit is completely unreasonable and can cause significant danger for those roads, uh, for those road users. And I, th- I think finally related to that point of enforcement, that, that we need to do much more to remove the most dangerous drivers from our roads. You know, there are plenty of examples of people who have caused death or serious injury um, through driving who receive almost ludicrously lenient sentences and are actually able to return to driving into, um, in a few years' time. Uh, that needs to be addressed. Uh, there needs to be serious sanction associated with causing serious harm or death by driving. And 
those that's just not happening at the moment. Thank you, Colin. I'm going to go back to Matthew in just a second. Matthew, you've stirred up a hornet's nest here by the look of it. I want to go to Neil Grigg. Neil, you had a point to make. Yeah, it was a couple of points. Uh, the Police and Crime Commissioners have been fantastic for road safety. Many of them are, are leading on road safety in their manifestos. And we're working around the country, around England, in Lincolnshire, Devon and Cornwall, where a small amount of money from the, and this is a bit of a pitch, Matthew, I'm afraid, a small amount of money from the uh, Police and Crime Commissioner's uh, road safety budget has allowed our local IEM groups, like Thames Valley Group, to put hundreds of young drivers through uh, advanced driving. Uh, by by giving a, a, a cost reduction to to them because it, it can it much much cheaper for them. Um, on the other aspect, um, enforcement is important. I do think that the, the lack of road traffic police has been a factor in the flatlining of, as I mentioned before, in the flatlining of deaths over the last few years. We are not a huge fan of blanket speed limit changes. Um, people take their speeding cues from the environment of the road and simply putting up a 20 mile an hour sign at the edge of a town and not changing the character of the roads does not lead to huge reductions in speed. So it, I'm all for 20 mile an hour outside school, all for uh, targeted traffic calming, that kind of thing, targeted speed limit reductions on rural roads, but blanket, blanket speed reductions don't really work. You need to target the money. And it does come down to money in the end, but, you know, we, we don't like blanket speed reductions at the IEM. Thank you. Uh, Matthew, I mean, just to take up those points, is there a way of you, or have you got a timeline for actually knocking on the doors of the local authorities, perhaps even working with the local enterprise, Thames Valley Local Enterprise Partnership, to try and get government money to actually push for these changes that all of these user groups are asking for? So I, I think um, you know, there's some early conversations I've started having in in Oxfordshire with the with the county council there, and I'm very keen to to extend those um, to to other local authorities. They are yeah they are embryonic. They are just conversations because I you know I, I have no control over local authorities. I understand some of the challenges that that councils have in, in delivering this, but I, I think what what is quite interesting is that I'm I'm really keen that we take the opportunity for. Thames Valley to be a leader in this area because I think you're right that some to some extent um, part of the reason for a plateauing and we've seen it across the country not just in, in Thames Valley is is we've the low hanging fruit which I think the, the phrase that Neil used has been taken uh, you know we, we know that cars themselves are much safer now than they than they were some years ago uh, people are wearing seat belts um, drink driving still uh, still is a problem we have to deal with but I think it's a significantly lower problem than it it was a generation ago. Uh, yeah, there, there are things that have improved, that, and, that, and that was the easy stuff. Now we need to concentrate on the difficult things about actually improving driver standards. Okay. Uh, and one thing we haven't touched on uh, this evening is uh, around e-scooters. E- uh, of course, Thames Valley is one of the areas that has trials uh, of that. Now, turning that on, on its head, controversial though though they can be, I'm really keen, if we can come up with some great initiatives, why don't we make Thames Valley a trial area for other issues? So I've, I've talked to some local authorities who are keen to take on uh, some enforcement powers around speeding. Uh, there are pros and cons to that approach, but yeah, let's let's push with the Department of Transport to say, uh, yeah, why don't we why don't we run some pilots in Thames Valley if we've got willing local authorities? The work that the um, Institute of Advanced Motorists have done around. Um, uh, around courses for young people i think there's a greater opportunity to work with insurance companies to say look you actually get a sizable discount on your insurance um 
if you if you take some proper advanced uh, training. Uh, you know, I think that would be great. But at the moment, it's very patchy uh, and it's a bit tokenistic, the amount of discounts you can get. So why, why don't we have some of these bigger conversations, which may not all be in our control, but let's be ambitious. And if we can pilot some of that stuff in Thames Valley, then so much the better. Thank you, Matthew. Uh, two, two final comments before I ask you, gentlemen, each of you to, to, to summarise. I'm going to go to Alan Hiscox. Uh, Colin Brown will be with you in just a second. Col- uh, Alan e-scooters how do they affect horse riders and of course please feel free to make your other point um well well they, they affect horse riders in the same way that some um, cyclists or anybody else does if, if they if they come up um behind and they pass too quickly and they pass too closely then they may well cause uh, horses an issue so uh, you know we're trying to get the education out to e-scooter riders and e-scooter companies on how they should approach horses we've got a be nice say hi campaign that we work with in the UK on that. I just want to very briefly um, agency approach a tragic accident in Oxfordshire where a horse was killed in December um, and we worked with Thames Valley Police and the local authority and the Road Safety Partnership we're actually putting up signs where this horse was, was killed um, uh, tomorrow actually, um, informing drivers how they should pass horses safely so one of the the things about multi collaboration is we can get the police, we can get the local authority and road safety. Brilliant. Th- th- thank you, Alan. I apologise to listeners for the for the sound quality there. We'll try and get Alan back on in just a moment. We'll try and get Alan on just a moment. Um, Colin. Um, yeah, I just wanted to quickly um, uh, make some comment on some of the, some of the points that have already been made. Um, we, we talk about low hanging fruit. Um, I, I do think when it comes to uh, specifically motorcycle um, safety, uh, the low hanging fruit hasn't actually been fully plucked yet. Um, we, we look at something like, I mean, we talk about the, the segregated infrastructure for cycling, which is absolutely great. Uh, though I do think sometimes it, it ignores the impact that it has on on other vulnerable road users, such as the, the the reduction in road space that is then available to the motorcyclists, putting putting them in close proximity to cars. Um, one of the things that we campaign for regularly, and this is something that uh, I, I would hope that Matthew could possibly support us with, is a motorcycle action uh, access in bus lanes. Um, now I know that uh, that Oxfordshire. Um, don't allow motorcycle access to, to bus lanes, but this seems to me as one of these areas where we've gone through. We, we, we've we've campaigned for for motorcycle access into bus lanes over over very many years, well over thirty years. Um, it it is still unfortunately a situation where every local authority we go to seems to feel the need to carry out a trial to see if it works. Surely, after seventy odd local authorities running trials and accepting that it works we don't need to carry on doing trials we can just go ahead and do it um we we, we're in this ridiculous situation where you can literally be traveling down a bus lane and because it it crosses a a border into a different local authority you can start off using the bus lane but then you have to get out of the bus lane as you as you cross the border um it's a ridiculous um mishmash of different regulations in different areas so so something as simple as, as Matthew, we've lost we've lost That's signal from from Colin. You've got sixty seconds, Matthew, to answer that one before we come for the roundup from everybody. Uh, can I just ask, gentlemen, if you could just put your your, um, your um, video off? Then I think we'll get a better audio quality in a moment. Certainly from Colin and from Alan. That, Matthew. 
Yeah, fa- thank you. I'll, I'll I'll be brief. I think the, there's been some really interesting uh, discussion this evening, and I really look forward to working with uh, hopefully all the people on, on this call. But there are a huge number of people out there across Thames Valley who have a vested interest in this, and I want to pick everybody's dra- brains in, in developing a, a new strategy for road safety. Uh, I, I go back to my first point, though. I, a lot of the correspondence I get uh, is is very much uh, this user group against that user group, uh, and I think that's a, that's a real challenge. It just puts everybody's backs up and you know in the same way that yes most accidents do involve a vehicle uh uh, does that make all car drivers dangerous no it doesn't it's because there are more cars on the road in the same way there are numerically more people sadly who lose their lives in vehicles uh but does that make it the most dangerous way to travel no it doesn't i think we need to get away from that uh it's cycling versus uh versus driving it's motorcycling versus horse riding this is about safety Uh, by all means have your arguments over which method of transport you prefer but my perspective on this is making the road safe for everybody and that's my emphasis thank you matthew right i'm going to go to alan as hiscox i'm really going to ask you each of you what are you going to take away from today what key advice would you give to listeners and policymakers and how can people contact you alan Okay, well, the Department of Transport says that every road user has a right to feel safe on the road, and so they should, but particularly vulnerable road users, you know, horse riders, pedestrians, cyclists, and motorcyclists. I think we all share the same message about uh, sharing the road safely. If drivers are involved, informed, guided, and sometimes persuaded on how to drive safely around vulnerable road users, then I believe the casualties will drop considerably. I'd like a questions to be included more when road safety strategy and planning takes place. You know, we have been the forgotten vulnerable road user for far too long, I think. There's 2.7 million horse riders uh, out there, and we want to be consulted and not considered as an afterthought. So the BHS Dead Slow campaign is there to increase the safety of equestrians, um, drivers, and the BHS safety team is trying to work with road safety partnerships, police, driving instructors and local authorities to get those four dead slow messages out there. Um, We're really looking forward to um, the final proposals of the Highway Code Review and hope that our messages are included. And I'd just like to let everybody know that we offer training and presentations to organisations about how to improve the safety of horses on the roads. And uh, I can be contacted on alan.hiscox, H-I-S-C-O-X, at bhs.org.uk or look on our website bhs.org.uk alan thank you very much colin brown uh yes so um i think uh this this has been an interesting uh discussion uh, say so, uh, i'm glad to see that that everybody's in agreement that um the there is a need to to um, avoid an us and them situation, any kind of uh, of war between different different groups of people. Um, I think uh, that that is one thing that everybody could, should take away from this uh, this discussion. And I would like to think that everybody can learn to show more consideration for other road users, even if they're not uh, using the same mode of transport as you at that time, uh, showing consideration for, for another road user is, is, uh, is not really too much to ask, in my opinion. Um, so, yes, we, we, we would like for, for policymakers to, to listen to a broad range of people, uh, and we would hope that, that um, the proposals that we've put forward for this uh, welcoming roads vision would be uh, duly considered and, uh, and hopefully um, supported by all road user groups and stakeholder groups. Um, in terms of uh, contacting us, um, probably the best option is to go via our website, which is www.mag.uk.org. 
Um, all our contact details are on there and we're happy to listen to anybody's views. Okay, thank you, Colin. Um, Colin Walker. Well, I'm probably going to repeat a lot of what's already been said, how welcoming it is to hear people try to uh, talk about how we shouldn't view each other as almost separate tribes and define ourselves by the mode of transport we choose to use. As it's been pointed out by others before, someone on a bike may is almost certainly likely to be a car driver themselves or may well be someone who rides a horse or chooses to walk to the shops. If you were to, if you were to look at these debates play out on social media, they can be quite brutal, a very us and them um, kind of like dynamic develops, which is, can be really unpleasant. And actually, when you sit down and talk of each other and realize that that person using a different form of transport is likely to be someone's father or grandmother or cousin, it actually humanizes the whole issue. And you realize that everyone's coming at it from a very similar point of view. They recognize that things like segregated cycle uh, infrastructure aren't just for the benefit of cyclists. They actually benefit us all as a society. So I do think there's probably more that needs to be done in terms of like increasing public awareness or challenging misconceptions about riders riding two abreast or the need to give them one and a half meters gap when you go around them. I do think there could be more to kind of raise public awareness of that. But I guess just appealing uh, to people's common sense and kind of like, you know, human decency that we are all ultimately sharing these roads and ultimately don't want to see anyone get hurt or killed up in when using them. And how can people contact you? Oh, good point. Uh, they can contact me on my email. It's colinwalker at britishcycling.org.uk. Thank you, Colin. Neil, your 90 seconds starts now. Yes, I mean, we uh, are very pleased to be working with uh, police and crime commissioners and glad about broad agreement. There are big changes coming. The Highway Code's been mentioned. Big changes coming to the Highway Code. Uh, at IEM Road Smart, we're all about sharing the road safely. So I'm pleased to have the debate about uh, trying to, to stop this tribalism. If people are worried about uh, the fact that there might be more uh, cyclists on the road don't feel they can cope with it or there are, or there are a lot of people feeling quite uh, lacking in confidence after stopping driving during coronavirus then and get in touch with Thames Valley IEM at uh, tvgam.org.uk and they will help you improve your, your driving and your motorcycling as well and uh, then we can all as I say learn to share the road safely. Yeah absolutely attest to the quality of the courses from IAM. Thank you Neil. Matthew in closing uh, thank, thank you all very much. I think your fantastic contributions to this. Uh, absolutely, the police have a role to play uh, in enforcement, and, and part of my future strategy will be looking at how uh, how we do that. Uh, but I have huge huge respect for our um, uh, roads policing unit who who do actually an incredibly uh, jo- difficult job um, at, at times. Uh, I guess yeah, that overarching message for me is is that I think there are some solutions out there we can work on jointly. I'm really keen to develop this uh, this road safety strategy that I've re- referenced. So very keen to get involved with with everybody in discussion this evening and, and in due course as, as we start to develop that a bit more. Uh, then we'll definitely be looking for some uh, some wider public consultation to get people's views about uh, about what the solutions might be. Great, thank you to my guests Colin Brown, Colin Walker, Neil Gregg. Alan Hiscox and Matthew Barber for a fantastic uh, discussion. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you very much. Thank you. Michael, we're coming to the end of the show. Well, yeah. that was a fascinating show again. Yeah, absolutely. If I may say so myself. <laughs> yeah, well done. Score 10 points. Uh, yeah, there's still a cast. 
did did you proud of fascinating fascinating subjects and raise some interesting points I, I i know it sounds a little point but i didn't know about the double cycling uh that actually that was in the highway code i get it uh i still just i still think it's uh it can be contentious for some people i think the other little twist on there is the fact that and it was something it was a point that was raised and i can't remember which one it was by was that um you have someone who is a pedestrian and they can be quite anti towards uh cars and cyclists and horse riders but they might also be a horse rider they might be and there will be a car driver and they might ride a bicycle but we just change our habits and we start to complain and and we're all guilty of it uh, as soon as we're in whichever mode of vehicle we're in we'll use that as an opportunity so um yeah absolutely fascinating very fascinating sadly we're at the end of the show we're going to finish with the proclaimers walk 500 miles i try to have a song to cover every mode of transport clever so you've been listening to wisdom to costa michael Burton and guests on politically correct join us every wednesday at 6 p.m or listen again at river radio www.river.radio i'm gonna be the man who gets strong next to you and if i hear yeah i know i'm gonna be i'm gonna be the man who's hebering to you but i will walk 500 miles and i will walk 500 more to be the man who walks a thousand miles to fall down at your door i'm walking I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be the man who's working hard for you. And when the money comes in for the work I do, I'll pass almost every penny on to you. When I come home, I, come home, I know I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be the man who comes back home to you. And if I go, well I know I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be the man who's going over you. But I would walk 500 Thank you for listening. Have a great evening. And remember, if you don't, who will? Across the Thames Valley. One more time. Across the Thames Valley. This, this is River Radio. Well, now for some pop music. Try this. Arms around me, back and forth you rock me, yeah. So I surrender to every word you whisper. 